3: Hey, thanks for downloading this podcast. If you want to listen live, be sure to download the iHeartRadio app and search for Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Thanks for listening,
2: and enjoy the show. You're listening to the Fantasy Sports Radio Network.
3: Hour 2 Fantasy Sports Today, the 23rd of January. This is Thursday.
0: Fantasy Sports Today.
2: Catch. Oh, <laughs> is caught. Jacks sideline. Touchdown. Unbelievable. Toss to White. He Patriots win the Super Bowl.
3: Welcome back to Fantasy Sports. Today we'll dive into average draft position in fantasy baseball. Some potential breakout stars of the American League Central. And is Eli Manning head towards the twilight of his career as he headed toward Canton, Ohio? Fantasy Sports Today starts now. Welcome back, Fantasy Sports Today. Craig and Joe back here with you. Follow us on Twitter at FNTSY Radio, at SportsGrid, at pizapia 17 at Craig Mish. And let's get back into our show here today. If you want to go back and listen to the first hour of the show, very easy to do on demand. Just hit that rewind button. Joe and I went through some pretty good player props for home runs for Major League Baseball players. We'll continue that discussion tomorrow. Uh, we start off here as we head toward the Super Bowl with a two-time Super Bowl champ deciding to call it quits. I think in his heart, Eli Manning knew, Joe, that, I mean, there just wasn't going to be a great spot for him um, in 2020. He did not want to be a backup. And it's very rare to see a player not have to have his jersey torn off, you know? Like for every Eli Manning, there's 15 Matt Hasselbacks who you didn't even realize played like eight years after they didn't start with the Indianapolis Colts. Guys who just toil around as backup quarterbacks. Eli Manning could have played, I would guess, another at least five years in the NFL, and we would have never seen him just as a backup quarterback. But he's made a lot of money. He's accomplished virtually everything, just like his brother Peyton. Uh, Comes from a great family, probably has some fun things to do outside of playing football, too. And so he's decided that he's done. There will be, I guess, some debate for him to get in the Hall of Fame. I don't see how it is if Kurt Warner is in the Hall of Fame. No disrespect, Kurt Warner. But, I mean, Eli Manning's in the Hall of Fame. He won two Super Bowls. That's it. I don't know what else there is
4: to say. Yeah, and, and of course, you know, he well, the thing with Kurt Warner is Kurt Warner had prolific moments. And, and football, because of the short careers, they value the great player more than the great career, necessarily. And I don't know if that's wrong. There's nothing wrong with that. If you want to talk about what it is to be a legendary football player. You know, they, 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 the Terrell Davis, the Gale Sayers careers that are short, but glorious. They value a great deal in the NFL because the average career is so much shorter. So you don't want to also select the guys that played a long time and played well for a long time. And Eli's got the W's to back it up and he's in New York. And you know, if he takes a job as an in-studio analyst or something like that, and he's in that cushy broadcast chair, I actually think he might be better than people realize. I think it would be a a breath of fresh air as an analyst or a color commentator, because, I don't need all the personality. Sometimes I just want somebody who's really good and knows what they're talking about and, and can get in there and, and describe stuff to me. And he might be one of those guys that kind of sneaks up and is funnier than you think and and maybe a dry sense of humor and might actually give you a lot of insight into the game. So I'm curious to see what's next for him. I, I would imagine he's got something lined up. When you're looking at him on Pro Football Reference, the Hall of Fame monitor, he's 21st among quarterbacks for the average Hall of Fame QB. So the average Hall of Fame QB is somewhere around 103. He's at 82-87 in terms of monitor ranking. and. The other thing to consider, too, is he was relatively, I don't want to say lucky, but this was a guy that forced his hand, right? John Elway forced his hand to end up in the place he wanted to be, or at least in the place he didn't want to be, which is he did not want to be a Colt. We all knew that. And the irony is Ernie, of course, he was the GM of the Colts. He got kind of screwed in that whole ordeal. They took Elway and then the owner traded him from under him. And then Ernie, of course, years later became the GM of the New York football giants and said, you know what? What's good for the goose is good for the gander. And he was able to work that deal that he was able to get. Eli Manning on his team, and wanted to make sure that Eli wanted to be there. He didn't want to be in San Diego, and they made that work. Uh, If you look at the careers of Ben Roethlisberger, of Philip Rivers, the other two big quarterbacks in that same draft class, I think all three have had wonderful careers. I think Rivers is unfortunate; he played in that AFC on a team that was not quite as good as the Patriots, and they lost a ton to the Pats in many a playoff game. So, where would you rank those three in terms of careers? Because I think statistically speaking. It's probably Roethlisberger by a hair over Rivers when you look at the stats. But in terms of prolific careers, you can argue Manning over both of them, possibly.
3: Yeah, I would say. um, Boy, it's tough. Uh, If I
4: asked you who had more career yards between Rivers, Roethlisberger, Manning, who would you say? It wouldn't be Manning. So it it would be it would be. Rivers, it is Rivers, but Manning is above Roethlisberger. Is that right? Okay. And you could say, well, the Roethlisberger missed this year, to which I'd say, well, so did Eli Manning. <laughs> so, I mean, let's let's be frank there and let's put that together. But yeah, 57,000 for uh, Manning, uh, 56,000 for Roethlisberger and Rivers 59. And by the way, Roethlisberger has the lowest, lowest of any quarterback in terms of quarterback rating in a Super Bowl in the history of the Super Bowl. In that first one he won. So that Super Bowl, everyone wants to give him. Well, he's got two titles. Yeah, but the first one really had almost nothing to do with him.
3: Yeah, it's a really interesting dynamic there when you think about it. But I think all three of these guys are Hall of Famers. I mean, I don't. to me, there's no doubt. Uh, To me, all three are no doubt Hall of Famers. The only one that people will try to poke holes at is Rivers because he never won a Super Bowl. But I'm done with that conversation. It may take him a little bit longer. Maybe he won't be in on the first try or the second try. But I think
4: that all three are. I mean, I I don't know. I don't even know why there's any debate with this. I don't think there's any debate. There shouldn't be. I think think Eli doesn't get enough. If Eli Manning's last name wasn't Manning, I think he would get a little bit more credit. Do you think that's a fallacy or you think that's a, there's a little bit of truth to that sentiment? Uh,
3: you know, I, I think that I think you could go either way with it. I think on the one hand, you're probably right. But on the other hand, I think that um, I, I think that he got hurt a little bit, too, though, because Peyton was better. You know, like, that's I think what that I mean. It,
4: I think he I think we can no
3: matter what. You got, wait, so
4: you think he got hurt or he was helped by having I him think he got hurt a little bit. I think yeah, his, no, I, I think his that. legacy gets that. hurt yeah. a little because his brother is arguably the greatest quarterback of all time. I, 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 I mean, I it's, agree the with trio. That, too. it's the trio of Brady, it's the trio of Manning, and it's the trio of Montana. And then right after that is Unitas, in my opinion, and, and I'm taking everything into account. And then after that, you can debate the rest of the list, okay, that, however you want to put that. But I'm looking at Eli Manning's numbers, and, and I'll tell you what, man, I know it's a different era of football, and you have to judge the guy in the era, but the best quarterbacks of this era were Brady, Roethlisberger, Rivers, his brother. And he is kind of, you know, right in this grouping and his stats are kind of right in this grouping too. You can't compare him to Dan Fouts because Dan Fouts played in an era where it was so difficult and he was still prolific by comparison to everybody else. It's very difficult because it's a very different brand of football that we're trying to judge him in. And I, I think you have to give him the Hall of Fame. And if his name was Eli Johnson, I think a lot of people go, wow, what a great career with Eli Johnson. We had two Super Bowls. Oh my goodness. You don't have to worry about being compared to your brother who is. Not just a good quarterback, but probably one of the, if not the greatest quarterback of all time. And I think it—it's the thing that allow, his last name allowed him to get in into position to play for the Giants, which gave him a very good career and a better step in a better organization. But at the same time, it's the thing that hurts him on the back end. I think too, which is a little unfair, also.
3: Yeah, and uh, it's listen—it's fun. The Hall of Fame for me in football. Again, we've gone through it many times. So difficult. Right. They uh, all get in. <laughs> they all get in. I mean, it's just like you know. I mean, and you know what? There's something to be said for making sure that you have a ceremony and that you have. Uh, you know people in but i mean you're guaranteed to put five in every year it's like i mean what if five aren't worthy oh nope, doesn't matter that put five in you know
4: like that that's, yeah that's but, but you know what they do i mean I'll, I'll say this it's it's also a different system where they keep some of the older guys their names and their memories whereas baseball you know like canerco edmonds gone after one time well why those guys should always be in a conversation because i think when you start to look back in the career of a jim edmonds in five six years from even now you go wow you know what Jim Edmonds really was an incredible all around talent why don't we care more about that and I think that happens to some of these other players too who played in the 60s and 70s people go back and they go you know what this guy was a lineman in the 70s and and you take the era into account and there's not a lot of statistics to to grade people out back then and I think that that is the beauty of the football one and it's also the detriment because everybody gets in but I don't know it's kind of a, a it's not the best way of doing it but I don't know what the best way is
3: yeah, there, there, is, there is no best way because we would fight every way possible, but that's what makes the conversation interesting. All right, coming up next, we dive more back into some fantasy baseball, so stay tuned for that. Don't go away.
0: Listen to Checking In with Michelle Williams every Tuesday, a part of the Black Effect on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Well, I like fantasy sports today.
2: And I like football. And I'm going to keep doing them book because they make me feel good.
3: And welcome back to Fantasy Sports today, Craig and Joe here with you on this Thursday afternoon. Got some big plans for the weekend, Joe? Anything? Uh, anything? On uh, the let's here?
4: see. This is a weekend without football. Uh, however, I, know, I do wow. got a basketball game. I got some basketball there, so my daughter's got uh, got some uh, basketball scrimmages going on for the little junior Saints. They're uh, they're playing real hard right now, and uh, yeah, it's going to be a fun little uh, uh, Sunday too. It's my dad's uh, turning seventy-two, so we're all going oh, out okay. to dinner, big happy family birthday. Italian thing. Yeah, thank you very much. So and. Sunday night's the Royal Rumble, Crank. So Sunday's oh, yeah. a big day. I'll be good out of that one.
3: Wrong. Yeah, completely. Uh, the, uh, so as, as somebody who is Italian, and maybe, and boy, I hate to not sound crass here, but is it, <laughs> is it like, an, is it, are you, do you guys go out for, like, because I would guess that you have a good idea as to what kind of Italian food you prefer. Is that mm-hmm. a guarantee for Sunday night? And would it be a high-end type place? Would it be a mom-and-pop type place? Like, how, how do you it's a good question.
4: This it, it is a okay. very, very good question. Actually. Um, we, okay. we would tend to normally do more like the home cook Sunday meal, whatever, but, okay. uh, this occasion, there is a place that uh, just opened up a couple of years ago, right near where I am, which is uh, a gentleman from Italy, from Naples, which is where my, all, both sides of my family are from uh, lovely gentleman, lovely place, uh, called Ama, which is, uh, it's, they make their own pizza. They make their own gelato. They make their own pasta. Everything is made on premises, small place, very, you know, tiny place. Uh, I would say quaint, cozy kind of a restaurant, not, not like hole in the wall, but also not a, a giant factory place. It's a kind of place where if you don't get a seat in there, you're, you know, <laughs> you're basically on the outs. Um, but a lovely guy, you go in there, you feel like you're at home. It's that kind of a joint, you know, he comes over, he brings you the homemade regatta cookies. You didn't order them. He just says, Hey, eat this. It's, you like, it's good. You know? And I love that. That's, that's what you want. And, uh, the staff is great. The environment's great. It's one of those places like three hours you're there. You look up, Oh my God, I can't believe i have been here this long. Okay. And it's BYOB. Which i'm a fan of i don't know if they do that in florida where you can bring your own bottles of wine and stuff uh, they have that. a
3: cork they have a corking deal here Corking like, fee
4: yeah some sometimes yeah. they do sometimes they don't mm-hmm. yeah this place doesn't that's good okay, it's good. uh it's my kind of joint let me tell you something and every everything not a huge menu but everything is good and that's, what that's is what your and what is your italian
3: food of choice joe for you
4: personally oh they, I, pff, there i there is no of choice i'm always a pasta guy at heart but you know what it, if you can give me pasta and then gelato at the end
3: Nah, gotta, nah, it's yet. not good
4: enough. There's got to be something. There's got to
3: be like a, <gasps> top, a top. OK, so I'll take I'll take it back. Give me your top two. Three is a little much. Give me a top two ordering menu Italian food for you. Top two. I could give you mine. <sighs> I eat Italian for all the time.
4: OK, give me yours while well, I think about it, because it's like choosing your favorite kid. You know, go ahead. What, what's, oh, okay. what's your top so, two?
3: So it depends on the Italian restaurant that I'll go to. But usually I just gravitate towards a chicken parm right away. Like I just see like I just want to know, do they have a good chicken parm here or not? Um, but there's another Italian place that I've been going to this Italian steakhouse locally here, which is not that far from me. Uh, Billy Joel actually has gone there. Uh, I have a, a Italian veal chop Parmesan, Parmesan, and I'll take a picture. You know, I may have a picture of it somewhere in my phone. It's like this huge veal
4: chop Parmesan. So yeah, are- there's a place like that in Philadelphia called Ralph's Ralph's is a, is a hundred plus year old restaurant in Philly in South Philadelphia. I used to, we used to go to all the time when I was in college there. And even if I go back and visit Philly, I always end up going there at some point. The, it's the size of the plate, the veal. The, the, it's uh, the most unbelievable thing. And I don't even like veal. I order it there. And a friend of mine once told me, he said, or, order this. and I was like, really? No, no, just do it. Every time I go there, I order it. It's the only place I'll eat it. And it's the most exquisite thing. And Ralph's up until, I don't know, three years ago, you could only pay cash if you know what I mean. Eh? you know, I like I'm talking it. about mm-hmm. my kind of joint that's one of those kind of I know. Um, going in okay I, i'm a pasta guy so i like the fresh pastas if you give me a, a fantastic bolognese i'm very happy okay there um, you go now we're getting I, somewhere we are getting somewhere uh if you can give me a, a very um, unique kind of ravioli i'm in so i'm always going towards the pastas you know first and foremost this place does the does the wood burning fireplace pizza and mm-hmm. it's just like and which i like the fresh figs and and the, the different cheeses on it. like they they do all of those kind of things they make their own little rice balls too but the tiny and that very, you know, it's I'll tell you, Craig Mitch, you come up here, we'll go there. It'll be great. But it's like, you know, I like places where you go and it's like you feel like you're in Italy. And when you go out to dinner in Italy, I don't know if you've ever, you know, no, I been, no. everybody should go there because it's a great lesson. And, and we talk about how to live life, right? They're, they're, they you know, you look one way, you're something that's a couple thousand years old. You look at one way, there's something that's the most modern thing you've ever seen. That's what Rome is. Right. And then when you go to different spots, Italy, the food is different in each kind of place, but you know, it's, it's the feel of the restaurant. It's the people it's, it's the way that they, they care about the food and they care about the experience and stuff. And it's not like eating any other place you've ever eaten. And I don't mean the tourist trappy places like in Venice. I'm talking about we sure. go to Sorrento, you go to Southern Italy and they and you could walk outside and you smell the lemons, you know, <laughs> like that is an incredible thing because of the lemon trees. That kind of environment, that's what this place is like. It's like they picked it up and dropped it in the middle of New Jersey here. And uh, I got to tell you, very excited. It's going to be a nice day. I wish you could come. I would, I would invite you and the family to come, too.
3: I like it. I like it. All right. Let's, uh, let's move kill back. We killed five on. minutes there. Look at that. There it is. Got <laughs> now I'm hungry. The, got paid the same. How about that? All go. right. Uh, let's, let's get in back to some fantasy baseball here. Um, let's talk about outfielders. Um, uh, Andrew Benatendi versus Marcelo Zuna in average draft position. Benatendi 104 versus Ozuna 105. By the way, earlier today, just as a side note, Joe, as what we talked about earlier in the week. John Heyman uh, did confirm that Ozuna did have offers of multi-year deals and chose mm-hmm. to take the one-year deal with the Atlanta Braves, as I suspected. But... You're so smart. People have a hard time understanding this, is that sometimes you have to bet on yourself. You're left in a no-win situation. It was not enough money for him, and he chose to take the one-year with Atlanta and go back to free agency. It makes perfect sense to me. Uh boy. You would love to say here in this spot, one hundred four versus one hundred five. Great comparison. That Benatendi goes back to what he was two years ago, and it's a no-brainer, right? Like that's what I would love to say because it's not betting necessarily against Ozuna, but it's but the ceiling of Ben Benatendi with just some of those other things that he showed two years ago is fantastic. What happened to
4: Benatendi last year, Joe? Like what what is it that happened How about last two years? I mean, even t- look. Here's the thing: it's it's in twenty seventeen he goes twenty twenty. And everybody's just losing their mind. And because he plays in the Boston media market, it got even more exaggerated of how good a player he could be, right? 22 years old at 23, he loses a few home runs. He goes from 20 to home runs to 16, but the stolen bases hold true. So fantasy nerds everywhere are happy. All right, whatever. I gained 20 points in batting average. I lost five home runs next year. Everything will be fine. What happened last year? Last year, some injuries, but also home runs went down again from 16 to 13. Steals got cut, not by a little, but in half. That is an issue. And you lost 30 points almost off the batting average. So to me, this is a spot where the way fantasy is set up in 2020, I don't want to fall behind in power. Marcelo Zuna is on a one-year show-me deal, which I love. I had all the shares of Donaldson last year. I had all the shares of Adrian Beltre the one year in Boston. Give me the one-year guy in his prime on the show-me deal, and I'll show you a very happy Joe Pizzoppia. And I'm telling you right now, I'm going to go with Ozuna. I want to solidify those 25-something home runs. I'll take the 25, 85, 80 or 85 whatever he ends up being and i'll take whatever batting average comes with it yeah the stolen bases will be nice but if there's no guarantee it gets back up to the 20 range i'm a very hard sell that these guys are the same adp and i think in two weeks from now ozuna will be higher so where would you go with these two guys oh,
3: well you know i'll say this your your thought process is correct but in this particular situation with ozuna i'm not sure um
4: I'll sell you one more thing. You ready? He was, Here's one more: he, but,
3: but okay, 140
4: strikeouts last year for Benettendi. That's 40 more than in 20. Yeah, I don't know what happened. I don't know what happened, but and that but was 40 more in 10 less games. That's a that big red but, flag.
3: But, but to just to poke a little hole in the narrative is Ozuna was on a show me deal last year too, and and I mean he was going into free agency hoping to have a great year and get paid, and he he did not perform as well as he would have thought. Now is this the wake up call? Like is this the one? That makes him think so. Like, uh, knowing him, I-, I think you're right. I think you're right. And I think that this is the right direction. And I think that I would go this direction, too. But it wouldn't shock me, Joe, to see Ozuna put up the same numbers that he did last year. It wouldn't shock me at all. Uh, I just don't think. The but overall- if he did,
4: that's still better than Ben It is better than Ben except- And I think it almost and, feels and still. How many bases is Ozuna good for? So base wise. Seven. OK, that's only three less than Benettendi last year.
3: <laughs> yeah but i feel like there's a lot more in ben attendee i don't know like there's something i, I gotta like ask about him if,
4: yeah. if ben wasn't a red sock i don't feel everybody would be goo goo gaga over him Maybe. i think because he's a red sock he has been overrated from the get-go and i'm not saying he's not a, a nice player he is in points leagues you can make the argument you'd rather have ben because he's gonna have 40 doubles because he's probably gonna you know he's gonna be on base a fair amount but let me tell you something the biggest red flag to me more than the stolen bases getting cut in half more than the two-year decline in home runs it's the plus 40 almost in strikeouts in 10 less games something's wrong something's off and at 25 of course he could rebound ended up having another season like 2017 that's great but in this era of baseball we're in right now where power is everything a Benintendi fallout year another year in a row man, that sets you back at this ADP right around 100. And I think that's something I'll take what I can get out of Ozuna and I'll find another 15 stolen bases. I'll split the difference and find a guy who can get me 15 and 15 somewhere else. Because I think you can, who doesn't play for the Red Sox and isn't named Andrew Benatendi and doesn't have nearly the helium that a lot of other guys do.
3: All right, got to take a quick time out. We'll be back with more fantasy sports today right after this. Put your money where your mouth is and take a shot by opening up a sports wagering account with FanDuel, New Jersey's largest sports book. Go to FanDuel.com slash grid, where you'll receive a free bet of up to $500. That's a free bet of up to $500 when you open up a sports wagering account at FanDuel.com slash grid. Point spreads, game totals, props, parlays, and in-game wagering on college and pro sports. You are in control. Go to FanDuel.com slash grid. Open up your new account and claim your free wager of up to $500 today. Make sure that you're in New Jersey to use this and you have to be 21 years or older. Just go to the website, check out all the details. And if you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER. All right, uh, let's move over to some average draft position in terms of the pitchers. And then tomorrow we'll dive back into some hitters again. Uh, Really good one, I thought, with Ozuna Benintendi. That's like the perfect war to have. The perfect I'm two players these, to have baby. when you're when you're when you're firing these off, and I got
4: I got a whole I got a full I, I feel like we could do an
3: hour on those two guys. Like it's they're polarizing type players, and and um, it's like everybody wants to believe there's more for Ben attendee, but you're not sure, and everyone wants to believe that ozuna on on his walkier. It's uh, one of or, the
4: great traps of major of of fantasy baseball is, you know, the potential versus the in your hand, and I think the potential is. If if you were selling me that Andrew Benatendi was the kind of guy who was gonna steal forty bases, all right, that's different. Like that's always the the tease of Trey Turner and the risk reward of him. It's like, okay, I understand like there's very few guys that are separators. Turner's one of them. You take a shot, okay, I get it. But Benatendi I mean, it, it, there's there's a handful of guys who went 15 and 15 last year at a lot less cost of the 180p. Yeah, and Absolutely. and what what is the the downside? Is another guy that's killing you the, with the strikeouts, he's killing you because the strikeouts means he's not getting on base, which means the run total is not going to be there, and it's it's tricky. I hope Attendee turns it around. Maybe this is a great buy low opportunity in keeper leagues, but I will take the bird in the hand with Ozuna. Because let's not forget what the upside of Ozuna is. He could be a thirty-five home run guy. It's not impossible. We've seen it before.
3: No, I mean there's there's a lot of good points to be made for sure. All right, uh, let's let's go to uh, pitchers here. Michael Soroka of the Atlanta Braves is ADP is one hundred two. Carlos Carrasco of the Cleveland Indians is ADP is one hundred six. Soroka coming off a career year, arguably pitching like an ace in Major League Baseball last year for the Braves. Uh, certainly. Uh, there is that possibility that they give him the opening day start, too, with the Atlanta Braves. I mean, there's and that chance exists. I mean, I don't know. Is Cole Hamels getting a Soroka? I'm not sure. I, I would guess Soroka, they probably have start opening days part of the organization. Um, Carrasco, we know, has the ultimate amount of talent, had a terrible disease last year, which derailed most of his season. But if healthy, I think he's probably the better bet here. What do you got, Joe, for Soroka versus Carrasco?
4: Yeah, I mean, I don't know why everyone's worried. Carrasco came back and pitched at the end of last year.
3: Yeah, I know. Right? But still, I mean, well, uh, Joe, <laughs> it's still, well, joke. what are we worried about? It's a disease, man. Like, there's, I understand. It, 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 I understand. Strike, it strikes you and you're out for the year. I mean, come on. I mean, there is risk. There's
4: no doubt. There is risk, but there's also risk in a young pitcher like Soroka, who, you know, broke out into the sea. And we've seen a lot of guys that look like they're going to be the next thing and then they fall short. And Soroka's 22 years old. So, in from terms of risk, a guy 22 who just threw 174 innings at the major league level, I don't see there being any more risk than Carlos Carrasco. Yet their ADP is together. Now I think Soroka had a wonderful season. Soroka might be a better pitcher than a fantasy pitcher, though, because when you look at it, he's only striking out seven guys per nine. Uh, when you look at it, I understand he had you know a two six eight ERA. Mm-hmm. You know, for all that two six eight ERA, he only won thirteen games. And you know, you can make of that what you will. You can blame him on the bullpen, whatever you want. I understand he's tough to square up. I love that about him. Uh, I understand he's got a three to one K walk, which I love. But just, just like I was talking about with Ozuna, now where power hitting, power pitching is everything, those strikeouts are anything. Carlos Carrasco, when healthy, is a 200 strikeout guy. Soroka doesn't look like he's anywhere near that level. We're talking about a guy in Carrasco who, five years now, four of the last five, has had a K per nine of 10 or more. That's that's not, like, close. You know, one guy's at 7K per nine, The other guy's at 10. Also, Carrasco has 183 innings, then 146, 200, 192, and then obviously last year. So Carrasco has a longer track record, too. Now, I understand he's older. And it's almost a 10-year difference. Give me the guy with that risk. I'll take that risk because the upside is far more than the upside of a little unknown, which is, let's be honest, Soroka as good as he was last year the strikeouts aren't prolific they are not elite and he's got a lot of pressure because basically he is the quote-unquote guy in that rotation now so I think that's a lot to ask of this kid so I'm gonna go Carrasco which way are you going yeah I'm gonna take Carrasco too I'm
3: gonna agree with you you know Soroka also had some shoulder issues a couple of years ago too and I don't (laughs) think that there's always a a clean uh, bill of health with him so um yeah, I would I would tend to agree in that spot. Um, okay, let's move to two lefties, two new spots. Madison Bumgarner goes from San Francisco to Arizona. Hunjin Ryu goes from L.A. to Toronto. I would say park factor-wise, both take a negative here. Uh, Team-wise, uh, Bumgarner gets a little bit of a bump. Ryu gets a little bit of a of a boom, I think, on the bottom. Um, I You know, it's 117 117 versus 119 here, and this is simply betting that Ryu can do what he did last year, which I won't do. I would definitely take Bumgarner in this spot. It would not be close for me.
4: Here's a couple. You know what? I I would probably take Bumgarner too. However, this is one where it would not shock me whatsoever if Ryu ended up ahead of him in terms of fantasy productivity. And what was so fascinating about Bumgarner last year was the splits. Uh, The and Bumgarner splits between home and road were very drastic, and it's because – He was able to really, you know, get the most out of that San Francisco park, and he has it for most of his career. And now you're taking that away from him. And when you looked at what he did on the road last year, it's not nearly the same player. Now, the good thing about Ryu, despite the fact he's moving into a very tough division, is he's moving, you know, he's the kind of guy that keeps the ball down. You know this, I know this. He's the guy that is able to really pitch no matter where he is. For sure. The problem with Ryu is what we always say about him is my goodness what are we going to do here with Ryu and the injuries because he was brilliant in the end of 2018 he was brilliant for the first half of last year he was good in the second half not great but I feel like we're going to look up in July and we're going to say man look at Ryu he's got 12 wins like I feel like that's coming And nobody's giving him the opportunity to do it. Everyone's just kind of forgetting about it and saying, ah, no, I can't possibly, can't possibly, can't possibly. It's all about the health with him. But last year, here are the splits on Bumgarner. At home, 293 ERA. On the road, 529 ERA. Wow. That's a big, big difference. So this might not be as simple as people look. I'll tell you what. I would take both of them as a fourth starter, both of them as a number three starter, I think you're looking at a little bit of trouble here and you have to draft them as a three starter so keep that in mind we're looking at some of the names around that adp
3: yeah no i think uh you know a deeper look
4: tells you a little bit of a hashtag (laughs) black (laughs) book and this is what we do and this is why you know these these numbers are straight out of black book this is what we do and why we and if you look at the rpv of these two guys they are right there uh ryu is a plus one as a third starter and Bumgarner is a zero, which means he's a fantasy league average third starter. Why? Because all of a sudden you're taking away that home advantage he had, and it was a significant advantage. When you have an ERA under three anywhere, over 19 starts, that's important. You take that and marginalize 19 starts and other ballparks now, or put part of them in Arizona, ew, that's, that's a whole different animal. And I hope Bumgarner's great, but the numbers don't lie. Yeah. For sure.
3: okay. uh, let's go on to uh, another interesting one. Very intriguing. As uh, Zach Wheeler goes from New York to Philadelphia, his ADP is 122. Frankie Montas of the Oakland A's is 123. If you're not that familiar with Montas, that's kind of fair because last year was really the first year that he made a lot of big league starts and 16 of them last year. 103 strikeouts in 96 innings. A lot of folks feel that his ceiling is extremely high with Oakland. We kind of know what Zach Wheeler is already, which is some predictability. Park factors a little bit of a negative, clearly moving to Philadelphia. If Wheeler was to give you the season that he gave last year, it would be a no-brainer. You, you would take that predictability, and you would take Zach Wheeler. But the upside potentially could be more with Montas, who, of course, was a highly-touted prospect, struggled mightily a few years ago as a bullpen guy, now as a starter, looks much better. Joe, who do you got between these two?
4: You know, I've got Montas and so does Paul Sporer in the Black Book. And we have the same reasoning here, which is what you said. We know what Zach Wheeler is, but at no point in time have we gotten a a stretch as long as Montas had last year. Now, you could say, well, he was on special vitamins. Okay, fine. But when he came back, he looked exactly like the Montas (laughs) that that left. So my thing is this. He's pitching in a great ballpark. He's pitching on a good team. And not that, you know, Wheeler doesn't have a good team. He does. But I look at Montas and I look at the run he had last year and not ever, ever in Zach Wheeler's career did he have a run of 16 starts that looked like Montas's 16 starts last year. He had a run here that was absolutely dominant. So even without the special vitamins, if you want to marginalize this a little bit, it's still better because when you look up at Zach Wheeler and you see a four ERA, what does that tell you about a player? It tells you he's inconsistent. So for all the dominant outings or even the dominant innings he'll have, or the dominant first three innings of a game, Zach Wheeler will inevitably have something else negative happen. And I've watched a lot of Zach Wheeler. I know you have too, because you cover the National League East. And to me, Craig, when I look at him, I kind of feel that. Like I kind of feel like I'll take the upside of Montas, who is still 27 years old, then Wheeler, who is around 30 now, and basically showing you he is sometimes very good sometimes good sometimes not so good man i'll take the upside here for the same amount of cost
3: yep looks like uh that's not a bad idea too um i would say very close i could go with either one here and be very happy but definitely would bum garner and we agree on carrasco we'll take a quick timeout. we got plenty more to come on fantasy sports today don't go away Welcome back to Fantasy Sports today, Craig Mitchell, along with Joe Pizapia, with you here on the show. As I mentioned on Monday, we're going to go into some of the Super Bowl props. It's a special day in Las Vegas, especially at the Super Book in uh, at the Westgate. Here's kind of what happens: is that the Superbook in general is considered the mecca of sports betting in Las Vegas, with the most options, and, and it's it's basically the you know they they house the Super Contest. It's it's considered the best by many who are out there. And what they do is every year on, I guess it is uh, Thursday night before the following week, Super Bowl, they compile all of their props and their best customers. They essentially allow one hour before it opens up to the public to come in and bet on all of the Super Bowl props before they go public, which is really cool because, uh, you know, potentially there are some advantages to be had. This is the way Vegas is. They'll move the lines up, move the lines down. And so essentially a lot of the sharps are there. And it gives you some of an idea as to what they're thinking, maybe some of the best advantages that you can get out there, maybe by a a yard or two. Um, And so we'll update those on Monday. We'll tell you what some of the people are thinking, but that does come out tonight. So stay tuned for that. Maybe we'll have some tomorrow as well. I'll get the full packet of those. Uh, What the Superbook has done already in January, and this is way early than any other year that I could ever remember. Usually this is like spring training is going on and these come out, but they're putting them out now. And that's great for us because it gives us some more content. Yesterday on the show, we talked about the odds to win the home run title. Well, in addition to that, they have all the props out for the total home runs hit by virtually every player that is relevant in 2020 as well. So I thought that we would go through some of these, Joe. And it's really fascinating to think what uh, Las Vegas thinks about these. Now, again, out of 50 players or 100 players that they list, there are going to be a couple of significant outliers here. First outlier would be player gets hurt. Obviously, nothing you could do about that. Second outlier would be somebody way overperforms or somebody way underperforms. But I got to tell you, I followed these through the years and at least half of them are spot on and very close. So this is where we're trying to find any advantages on these and see if there are any that look like they could be off by a home run or two and then potentially give that advice to somebody else out there. So, uh, Joe, here we go. Let's kind of take a look at some of the home run totals and. We'll start off with the guy who came out of nowhere last year, essentially, to win the home run title, Pete Alonzo. And he doesn't have the highest number. I'll tell you who has the highest number, but let's start with last year and then move to this year. Pete Alonso's number is 36.5 going into 2020. How do you feel about that number?
4: I feel that's an easy over, I'll be honest with you. And it's not because he had 50-something. It's because I've been watching this guy play for quite some time. And uh, last year in the Black Book, <clears throat> the quote was, This guy's got Cody Bellinger type power. You should understand that. He's an outstanding hitter. Think of him in year one, the way you saw Cody Bellinger come up and just absolutely rake and tear the cover off the ball. And then he exceeded my expectations, which were already very high. And last year, I think he got a little home run happy, especially towards the end when he knew he was chasing it. And I think the batting average and some other stats suffered because of it. But if you go back to the minor league track record of Pete Alonso, Pete Alonso is a very complete hitter, good strike zone recognition, good pitch selection. A guy who's got good discipline, good contact rates, good fly ball rates. Everything's there for him. And he's in a spot here where I actually think the lineup is slightly uh, better this year going into the year than it was where it started last year. So I don't think he's going to hit 50. I don't think he's going to hit 45. But I think somewhere between 35 and 40 is very reasonable and 36 and a half. Sure, it could end up being around there. But I think he's got a a better chance of getting toward the 40 mark than he does getting to the 35 mark. So I'll go over here.
3: Yeah, I I would say that the numbers seems great here. It seems like a phenomenal number. I wouldn't do one way or the other. Um, I would probably go under. It seemed like everything broke right for him last year. And uh, I I always feel like year one to year two, I'll bet on regression as opposed to sustainability and predictability.
4: Mm -hmm. And not well. even a 10 home run regression puts him above that number.
3: Mm-hmm. But yeah, but again, you know, I'll give my opinion on it. I wouldn't mm-hmm. say anything is easy here because sure. if that was the case, I would bet it. Uh, but I'll I'll, f- I'll find one or two that I feel strongly about. But if I have an opinion, which is strictly a lean for me, it would be a non bet. It would be under. I would say thirty three, thirty four home runs for him. Um, the top number here, by the way, and so we can now move on to that, and then we'll we'll you know take it from there, and uh, we'll see how many we get through today. We'll do the rest if we don't tomorrow. Is uh, the, the Superbook has Trout at thirty nine and a half home runs and barring uh, an injury of any kind this is probably right around where he is going to be in 2020 now there is some notion i think for people who bet on these is that the higher the number the more likely you are to go under on these Mm -hmm. because of the injury factor all any of these players have to do is essentially go on the injured list twice or miss two or three weeks, and it is extremely unlikely at that point that that guy would go over his number. So I tend to go under on a lot of the ones toward the top. Where do you see Mike Trout in 2020?
4: I would tend to go under on Trout as well. Uh, Trout's a guy who's missed a good chunks of seasons the last couple years. So that is a trend that you have to pay attention to. And I understand that even with missing time, this is still a relatively achievable number for him. But looking at the kind of player Mike Trout is and looking at the rest of this lineup, I don't see why he can't come close to this with 155, 160 games played. Question is, I don't know if we're going to get that number because we haven't in a while. So for me, I'm going to go with the under here with Trout because I think this is kind of setting you up for exactly that. We know the talent of Trout is over, but so far the history of the last couple seasons has taught us that, you know what? You need to be aware that Mike Trout playing 162 games is probably an unlikely thing and that and it's part of the way he plays the game so you have to build that into it too what's the style of play of the player is he super aggressive is he guys going to run into walls and do that stuff and trout's that kind of guy i know he doesn't steal bases as much anymore so he's running less which actually is going to bring that quotient down a bit but i'll still go under here for trout under the 39 close to it but i'll take the under 39 and a half
3: yeah i would go under on all of the ones that are um that are that are very high, you know, 37s, 39s, 36s. I just it would be yeah. my opinion of that. Bellinger is the one
4: on. I wouldn't go under on 35 and a half. I thought that one was actually curiously low for Bellinger. Oh, I mean, they know what they're doing, so I, I don't
3: I don't question it. Um, if you want my opinion on it, I uh, do. another under another under. Yeah. On all of these, well, the only uh, well, well, let's go through it here. So Trout, 39 and a half. Uh, Pete Alonso thirty six and a half. Let's move to Aaron Judge thirty seven and a half. If you told me Aaron Judge played one hundred and fifty games, it's an over. I don't know that he will, so I go under. That's <laughs> just I'm going to do this on all of the top guys. Maybe it's maybe it's the wrong way to go about it, but I, I know that out of the four <laughs> or five guys that are at the highest at the top, most of them are going to go under. Um, so that's the way that I would go with him too. I'd go yeah. under thirty seven and a
4: half. How, I would take the shot on the over with Judge because. Again, the kind of injury he had, as opposed to a, a couple of years in a row, lots of the same things were traveling, on, like, you know, just missing significant time. Mm-hmm. Judge was kind of that one off last year. So the only the only problem I always have with Judge too is that incredible rookie year that he had, the second half was not as incredible. And I keep feeling like everybody's just overrating him a tad, but it's the ballpark that really gets me when it comes to Judge. I mean, that's just such an easy ballpark for him to hit little fly ball home runs in that. You know, if this number was 39, I would have a problem. But 37, man, that's 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 really tempting for me, Craig. Thirty seven and a half.
3: Okay, Ronald Acuna Jr. is thirty six and a half. Uh, So is Joey Gallo and so is Nolan Arenado. So those three players, Joe, are thirty six and a half. Acuna, Gallo and Arenado. Um, I would take a shot on Gallo and an opinion over. I would take a shot on Acuna on an opinion over. And obviously I'll bet against Arenado hitting 36 and a half home runs. If this guy gets traded at the all, you have to, even though last night it does appear that Arenado is made nice and says, look, I'm just getting ready for the season. I mean, if the Rockies are 20 games under in July, I suppose they could wait and they could wait till the end of the year, but then you'd only be giving the, um, the other team one year of his contract because he can opt out after 2021. So I would definitely go under on Arenado 36 and a half over on Acuna over on Gallo.
4: Uh, I'm only going to go over on Joey Gallo here. I think the Acuna number is probably spot on. I think last year was a brilliant season. Everything broke right. Also, Josh Donaldson not in that lineup anymore. A little bit less uh, you know, to worry about in that lineup. Correct me if I'm wrong, did Donaldson not hit in the two hole a fair amount last year? I'm trying to remember off the top of my head. Sounds right. I don't yeah, know. and uh where did you know, and then I feel like that that's there's a difference there. And that's a that's something that's missing from this lineup now. Uh Joey Gallo at 36 and a half, that's an easy over. It's just about him staying healthy enough to play the games. I know last year was disappointing because they only played in half a season, but my goodness, I mean, it's if you rack 145 games, I don't see how it's not over thirty six and a half. So I think that's almost a gimme. Okay, now
3: moving from 36 and a half to 35 and a half, we mentioned uh, Cody Bellinger of the Dodgers where I would tend to agree there's a chance for an over there. Uh 34 and a half, the players that are listed at 34 and a half are uh, Christian Yelich, Eugenio Suarez, JD Martinez, Nelson Cruz, and Bryce Harper. Those are the 34 and a halves. The one that sticks out as an over for me is Suarez on Cincinnati, I really believe that this guy is has found it and is a star in the league. Uh, the one that would be an under is I'll always bet against age. So I would go under against Nelson Cruz, even though he's a DH at 34 and a half. Harper seems about right to me. Yelich seems about right to me, and I'm not sure what that lineup will be. And J.D. Martinez seems about right to me as well.
4: Yeah, I mean, the logic dictates very well for Nelson Cruz, but he keeps bucking that logic trend every single year. So I would stay away from that. <laughs> You're totally right in your thinking. But, man, every year we're like, ah, Nelson Cruz has got to end sometime. And then he it was just, like David know. Ortiz. Same thing. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> arguably better at the end than David Ortiz
3: the last couple. Yeah, years Matt Olson, ago. by the way, I should mention also 34. Half,
4: 34 <laughs> yeah, um, I'm going to I'm going to say I agree with you, too, on uh, on the one guy that I would go over with is Eugenio Suarez. I think Harper spot on. Suarez is that guy that he just no matter what he does he doesn't get respect and I and I was in that camp three years ago he had a good season but the right handed pitching numbers were not good for him against righties and I said look you know just be a little careful because that's the kind of split you don't love and then all of a sudden he does it again and he improves those numbers and all of a sudden boom the ball starts flying out of the ballpark even more and two years ago I completely bought in last year I bought in and uh, I'm just i'm waiting for everybody else to buy in because it seems like vegas doesn't want to buy in either but suarez is the real deal man. 34 and a half and if he gets a little bit more help too with castellanos uh, oh he's already got Mustakas in that lineup because he had no help can we all be honest i mean aquino had that little run but joey vada was just awful last year the guy had no help but he still hit 40 something bombs so uh, i'll take you suarez as well okay uh
3: 33 and i mentioned olsen um at 34 and a half 33 and a half this is easily to me the most fascinating one in juan soto uh stanton also 33 and a half but with juan soto you could see 50 home runs but <laughs> but but i don't think i can do it i don't think so juan not soto have a number 33 is not super he, high yeah but he walked 108 times and that number is only going to go up this year He's one of the favorites to win the home run title. It's amazing that his number is only 33 and a half. I don't think he's going to see pitching this year. That's the issue. This guy is so willing to walk, which is great. I mean, he's a great player. I, I am concerned that his number at the end of the year is going to be 140 walks. I mean, we, we, he has decent protection in the lineup, but losing Rendon is a monster loss for that team offensively. It is. I, I think that this guy is capable of hitting more home runs than any player in Major League Baseball, without a doubt. But I don't think he's going to see enough pitching to do it. And he only hit 34 last year. I think it has to go down because of him walking. And I'm going to go under as crazy as it sounds.
4: You know, I think this number is spot on. Uh, the The most interesting of the 33 and a half to me is actually Bregman, because what are you buying? You know, are you buying the road numbers or are you buying the uh, the help yeah, that he was getting respect, from all kinds respect. of things? That's another one. I think the 33 and a halves are the ones that I'm staying away from. Suarez at 34 and a half is a gimme. Soto, if I had to choose, I would pick over, but not much. And you are absolutely right. People just don't have to pitch to him because there's nobody else you have to pitch to. You need another player to emerge in this lineup to help him out. Trey Turner might get, there's been discussions of moving him possibly to, you know, out of the leadoff spot into the three hole. I don't know if I buy that. We'll see what happens, but. there's a lot going on here in Washington and they did not address their biggest hole and the Braves didn't address their biggest hole either but these are some fascinating numbers for sure we'll continue the discussion
3: tomorrow fantasy sports today's best of the first hour is next don't go away And welcome back to Fantasy Sports Today. As we wrap up the show, we always end it with the two-minute drill.
2: The two-minute warning. Two minutes, get your together.
3: Is that going to be enough time? And as we end the show today here on Fantasy Sports Today... Just a quick reminder, folks. Mental health is a serious issue. And I know that as the Antonio Brown saga is probably not over, it is coming more to a close today. Uh, Very sad situation. It's very easy to make fun of situations. But if the Aaron Hernandez documentary taught us anything, mental health is no joke. We've seen the same thing with Delonte West uh, with the video posted of him living on the streets or whatever the case may be. I'm not saying that some of the issues that Antonio Brown haven't been funny with him throwing a bag of gummy bears at the police. I get it. There is some uh, comedy to it. But in the end, when someone has a mental health issue, you just can never relate to what is happening. And hopefully for Antonio Brown's sake, that this is the beginning of a new life for Antonio Brown and not the end. That'll do it for the show. Thanks again to Tom Greve for coming on the program. Thanks again to Sean Glastamachia. For my co-host, Joe Pizapia, I'm Craig Mish. Full-time fantasy is next. Talk to you tomorrow at 2. See ya.